Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 18th of May. This week we have an exciting announcement, technical trading alongside some futures market analysis, especially in the dry freight market. But first, to the news. Uh, Singapore Ferris Week got underway and I'm sure that people have been enjoying being able to attend a significant in-person event again. Electric vehicles overtook smartphones and personal computers for the first time last year as the main source of demand for cobalt. The automotive industry consumed 59,000 tonnes of cobalt in 2021, and or 34% of total demand, as sales of electric and hybrid vehicles doubled. This is according to a report by the Cobalt Institute. It's good news for America's shale oil companies, who are estimated to take in about $180 billion of free cash flow, according to a search company, Reistad Energy, which will be greater than the total earned over the past 20 years put together, according to S&P Global Commodity Insights. And India announced a sudden ban on wheat exports, further exacerbating problems in the grains markets that we have seen recently with those extremely high prices doubling, a 50% increase uh, on the start of this year. So some big movements in those important industries and the future industries looking forward. But what have we seen in terms of our main indexes, the changes week on week? Well, in the dry freight, Cape size, 5TC, we have seen a significant move up there, uh, around about $3,000 per day up, now ending yesterday, 32,754, Tuesday the 17th versus Tuesday the 11th of May, where it was 28,703. On the Panamax 4TC, uh, a slight decrease there. We're now ending just under 28,000, 27,954. Similar story on the Supermax 10TC, slightly off there, uh, just clawing on to above 30,000 there, 30,194. Uh, the iron ore, 62%, after having fallen, has now uh, regained a little bit of territory. Had been 12810, now 13015. On the crude, that's seen a significant move up. 11424, closing on the FIS live report yesterday, uh, was 10385 on the 11th of May. Uh, and no surprise then, following with the Sing 0.5% fuel oil, that that has broken through the $800 mark. Had been 71105, now 85105 on the front future there if you're so interested on that. And the tankers, TD3C, uh, seen a drop on the VLCC routes at 4164, had been now 4066. TC2 uh, continues its move upwards, 33556, it had been last week, now 33722. Uh, TC5 is taking a little bit of a breather, 320 last week, 30643 closing yesterday. And on steels, it continues that slide down, still just above the $1,000 mark on the Northwest European steel contract, 1077 bucks. And on the EUAs, uh, that's the Compulsory European Union uh, Emissions contract, it had been €87.34 last week, and it's now pushed above the 90 level, 91.72 closing yesterday. First this week, we have an exciting announcement. Uh, we are pleased to say that we are working with S&P Global Market Intelligence, through which insights on global commodity flows, trends and market drivers from their commodities at sea and freight rate forecast services will be available on our award-winning app, FIS Live. And I have the pleasure of Rahul Kapoor, Vice President and Head of Commodity Analytics and Research at SME Global, with me to hear a bit more about the incredible range of data and research on offer from them. And I've also got Kerry, you all know who Kerry is, uh, back again to talk <laughs> also uh, about that and uh, kind of from the perspective of the FIS clients, what this means for them. Yeah. So first, uh, Rahul, why don't you tell us a little bit about S&P Global Market Intelligence and what kind of services you have on offer there? 
Thank you so much, uh, Chris. Thank you so much, Kerry. Uh, very excited to be working with uh, with FIS. Uh, so at SNP Global Market Intelligence, uh, uh, we are uh, a firm listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we understand the importance of accurate data, deep, insightful information, and we've been looking for someone who we can work with. Right? If you look at our products, which you mentioned, commodities at sea and free trade forecasts. The next frontier for us in the product differentiation is the inclusion of pricing insight and who better than FIS there, right? So we appreciate this opportunity to add this pricing data set, which is which is indeed very valuable to us and bring this to our, our clients, give them the visibility. They have great assets in, as in we have great assets in terms of flows as well as what we are doing with the freight rate forecast, but bringing this together with the pricing data sets, which FIS would provide, right? That completes the solution and what we call commodity analytics, right? So that's a, that's a great opportunity for our investors to get everything all in one solution right there. And also very excited with uh, putting our, uh, I would say industry leading research as well as insights onto the FIS live platform, right? I think that certainly is a very winning combination which we are looking for, uh, forward to. And Kerry, from the perspective of the FIS clients, this is a great opportunity for them as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The landscape for data and analytical services has changed dramatically, become a lot more competitive recently. As you know, Chris, we've been building out FIS Live as a platform for some time to help our clients, not just with live pricing across our futures markets, but to give them macro and technical analysis too. Adding in a dedicated section with analysis from S&P Global Market Intelligence is a natural next step in a way. Uh, it's going to be a major value add for our clients, just as we hope to lend value with our futures market pricing going up on the Commodities at Sea platform. We knew that we wanted to work with S&P Global Market Intelligence as an acknowledged leader in the analysis and data provision for physical freight and commodities. Um, and their excellent Commodities at Sea platform is a powerful tool obviously for tracking commodity and freight flows. So I think the addition of our pricing on there, the addition of their analysis on the FIS Live platform, definitely going to be a big value add. And then Rahul, you've had uh, a recent yep. merger between two companies. Now this is a significant company in terms of the scope and data that you have. Yes, indeed, right? I think if you see the bit and the depth of the knowledge information which we have within the combined firm, right? And we're very excited with that. I think you're talking about two of the biggest uh, data information companies coming together. Uh, and it, it's very exciting for our clients as well. When we speak to them, we're talking about not only the financial clients, we're speaking to the traders, analysts, investors, portfolio managers. So they're all very excited with what we can offer, the combined solution, the combined company. And again, uh, as in, it's, it's, it's cliche, but data is the new oil, right? Even <laughs> despite what oil has done. But I think the fact is <laughs> exactly, access yeah. to information access to yeah. data and it's near real time right so we're talking about uh, this is coming to you straight right what's happening in the market and that helps you act on those actionable insight that helps you deliver that alpha or, or the trading uh, profits or trading solutions which we are looking for in the market so very excited with this and if they wanted to find out more about uh, the services that you offer and wanted to get on board how would they do that perfect so I think through FIS live app, if you go in there, there'll be a link as well where you can uh, see what Comities at Sea and FRF, that is, which is our freighted forecast service office. So maybe a bit about Comities at Sea, right? So we built this, started building this three years back and uh, glad to say on the dry bulk side, we are the market leaders, right? When I say that is it's, it's being used by the top mining firms, top trading firms, some of the biggest hedge funds out there. And they're all looking to access better uh, trading signals, right? They're looking to understand how we or all the, all the commodities at sea platform 
can support forecasting the physical commodity markets, the freight markets, and also the financial asset classes, right? We're talking about the commodities in that sense. So cross asset classes, different strategies. So it's a it's an industry leading product and freighted forecast, again, a very niche product in that sense. But if I'm not wrong, we are the only ones who are using machine learning techniques. We're using advanced uh, ML techniques in terms of predicting the the Baltic assessments for the FFAs, right? So I think um, combination of these two together with the pricing, it, it's very exciting for the clients as well. And I'm sure uh, uh, this would be a great, great, great uh, exactly. new window into the commodity market for them as well. It's really yeah. a natural fit alongside the futures pricing that we can provide Indeed. as well. Indeed. And then if uh, anyone listening is still not on FIS Live, Kerry, how do they get onto it? Go to FreightInvestorServices.com forward slash FIS Live, and uh, you can find all the information you need there. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Rahul. And yep. Kerry, we're going to now move on to some dry freight markets, aren't we? Indeed, Chris. The capes remained very bullish for much of last week, and by last Thursday, higher fixtures were heard between $14.85 to $15.15 on that C5 West Australia China route. That was end of last week, $15.15 also being done uh, early this week. The big positive highlight of last week was the demand from India for Australian and Indonesian coal, which gave a lot of support to the larger vessels in the Pacific. Last week, around 6.3 million tons of coal were shipped to India, up 55.5% week-on-week data from S&P Global Market Intelligence Commodities at Sea Service showed. Just as we observed last week, over half of the coal shipped to India was carried by capesized ships. This is a trend we've seen for some time now. India has had to ramp up its coal imports due to low domestic stocks and the early arrival of a heat wave, and therefore high volumes of coal shipments to India are expected in the coming weeks. That's until the the monsoon season starts in June. In the Atlantic, however, uh, things remained far more subdued. During the week with rates on uh, C3 Brazil, China, iron ore hovering just below $35 pretty much for all of last week and remaining unchanged yesterday. Gains in the Pacific slowed late in the week and a Singapore public holiday kept chartering activity low on Monday. News that Shanghai may be coming out of lockdown in June has given some hope to the market, but sharp drops in Chinese economic indicators caused by all those lockdowns continue to to worry the market in terms of steel demand later this year. So I think... That is probably what we need to be watching. The paper saw a profit taking at the end of last week as the 5TC average leveled out and stopped rising. The June contract had fallen to near 35,000 by Friday afternoon, but the bulls firmly back in control this week, especially starting yesterday, Tuesday. Uh, With that June now valued at 41,500 this morning on FIS Live and the Q4 at 32,550. Panamax has also stalled out late last week, led lower by the sluggish Atlantic market. Although front haul trips of minerals and grains to the Far East remained positive, down in the South Atlantic activities were quieter with falling rates. Some charters were anticipating further corrections and they took a step back, and the market witnessed prices had a little bit lower before the weekend. The P1A transatlantic round had dipped a bit towards 30,000 by the end of last week, and the P6, that's Delivery Singapore, long round voyage via Brazil to the Far East, dipped towards 29,500. In the East, robust coal demand kept that Pacific market looking healthy. Again, same thing that was really driving the capes, those Indonesian routes being the most popular. Trips via Indonesia Redelivery India were paid at 23,000 for mid-May dates in the middle of last week, lifting towards 26,000 later in the week. As with the capes, 
The Panamax paper saw profit taking late last week and on Monday of this week with the June 4 TC paper hitting lows of 27.125 on Monday before rebounding to trade this morning at 29.700. Q4 saw a relatively sharper uptick uh, at 25.625 value this morning on FIS Live. But here's the ultimate question. Yeah. Direct to you right now here live. Yeah. There's the point about the, the positive sentiment around the fact that Shanghai looks like it's going to come out of lockdown restrictions in June, but there's still over 40 other cities who are in lockdown measures. Is it now presumptive to assume that everything's now going to be all honky-dory? I, it's I, all I, be I okay? think it is presumptive. Um, you know me. Um, some people call me the sort of permanent bear, but, uh, but I do think it is presumptive to just go ahead and assume that because Shanghai is coming out of lockdown, this is all going to end. I cannot see China overall reversing their zero COVID policy, at least until the October Party Congress, you know, which we all know she is waiting for President Xi to get uh, renominated for, uh, for another term, a precedent-breaking third term. Hmm. So, you know, I, I think this is going to carry on. I think the concerns about Chinese growth will be present for the next few months. And it's uh, a difficult one for them to actually come out of. Uh, and we all know that as soon as you let restrictions drop, infections go up. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they haven't had that initial wave yet, truth be told. So um, so it's, it's really a, a tough situation for them to be in. And I'm just not sure, nor is the market really, how much even government support and infrastructure investment coming from the Chinese government is going to be able to lift steel demand in light of lower economic indicators pretty much across the board. So let's see. Something definitely to keep an eye on. Exactly. Staying with freight, let's go talk to our senior technical analyst, Ed Hutton, and he's going to give a little bit more about what's happening in the freight from a technical perspective and before maybe a little bit as well on the base metal market. Ed, nice to have you on the podcast again, and uh, you've got some great things to tell us about the freight market, technically speaking. Yeah, hi, Chris. Thanks for having me again. Um, yeah, it's been a very interesting market. Uh, we saw recently um, these strong upside moves in the Cape, which basically defied the carry between the front month futures and the index. You know, historically, when we see these markets have sustained runs, um, if the carry is more than about $4,000, the upside move is very, very short-lived. Um, we saw in May, uh, when the futures rolled, that the carry was at 16000 which is at the time was an all-time high. Um, and we promptly just sold off $10,000 through the course of the next 10 days. Um, it was interesting we rolled into June because the carry was still at $12,500, which is very stretched historically. Uh, but the prices, the futures moved higher. Um, we saw the index, the RSI on the index went through 64. And this is um, a very good indicator to me that um, we could about see a bullish run. We've seen historically when we look back that we often see moves of five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And if we're coming from really low levels, it can be one, two, three hundred percent. Um, so once we went through uh, 64 on the RSI on the index, I, I knew then that the carry would naturally um, withdraw, but rather than the futures correcting, it will be the, um, the index going higher, as I mentioned in the technical reports. So the carry basically went from 12,500 to 7,500 in the space of four days. It did get down to about, about 5,000. Um, we saw a corrective uh, pullback last week 
I think it was below the 36,500, 36,250 in the Cape size, uh, which signaled it was going into corrective phase. Um, but we knew that if we held above 29,000, that it would support a bull argument. The Elliott wave sequence suggested the move was counter trend. Um, and the futures have now moved higher. They're in divergence, um, which does warn of a momentum slowdown. But reality is we could trade as high as like 46,000 here in this move, um, just based on a paper sentiment on a technical basis. Will we sustain this move? I don't know, um, is the honest truth. Um, my guess is that we've got a longer term corrective phase to enter. So I, I, I would suggest that this upside move could struggle to hold because we're already on a fifth wave um, and we need basically a, a bigger corrective phase to come. So we are running a little bit um, ahead of ourselves on the index. There are some strong fixings being reported. Um, so hopefully we should see the index numbers to support this. But if we don't, then these futures will look vulnerable. The interesting side of the market to me right now is, you know, we're seeing these strong upside moves in the Cape and uh, Cape, but we're also seeing the Panamax and Supermax follow, which seems to be um, a little bit sentiment driven to me. Um, the technical on the Cape is in place. We can run um, there. I have no qualms about that, but the Panamax and Supermax are very, very closely linked. Um, and we saw last year that the June futures, not June futures, the rolling front month contract, traded to a high of 42,250. Now, my longer term analysis suggests that we had an upside move to come that goes above that high of last year. I'm working on the assumption that this year's move is linked to last year's move. Now, the problem we've got is we've had two moves this year in the Supermax, um, one in January and Feb and one in February, March. <clears throat> now, these, these, these waves will be linked. Historically, if we're looking at um, something called the Elliott wave, uh, which I think we've touched on before, um, it's a five wave move pattern if it's going, if it's a bullish move, where you will have three impulse moves and two corrective moves. Now, there's a golden rule in Elliott wave, and that is that the wave three can never be the shortest. Now, if I look at the move in January and Feb against the move in February and March, the move in February and March was shorter in price than the initial move. This to me tells me that when we see this bullish fifth, fifth, if we see a bullish fifth impulse wave, it has to be shorter than the move between Feb March, meaning we cannot mathematically trade above the 42,250 high, suggesting to me that we're not gonna actually see this bullish wave five, that the move we've seen is part of a corrective phase um, so I'm not convinced that we're actually seeing a sustained ball move going on in the Supermax. Mathematically, it doesn't add up. I mean, Elliott Wave can fail, don't get me wrong, but it's been fairly reliable in freight for the last 10, 15 years for me. So, um, you know, we occasionally get a missing wave, but it's very unusual to see um, the mathematics of it fall down in the sense of the um, the, 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 the fifth wave basically becoming longer than the third wave of the third wave short. It just suggests that the move we've initially seen this year is part of a longer term correction, which to me says this market needs to go down. Now, when I speak to some of our clients in the physical market, they're telling me that, you know, they're not seeing, um, you know, a massive load of, of charterers and a shortage of ships. They're seeing, seeing the reverse, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of ships on ballast. 
Um, so I'm just wondering if what we're seeing at the moment is a sentiment driven move on the back of the capes um, in the last few days. Um, just purely based on maths, I think that we are in a corrective stage. I think the Supermax looks very, very vulnerable. If this is the case, then the Panamax, which is very, very closely linked to the Supermax based on their vessel sizes, etc., and similar cargoes, um, would suggest to me that although the mathematics in the Panamax work, it would suggest that also that the two wave moves move higher we've seen this year is um, is potentially part of a corrective wave. So, you know, unless we see the, the fr rolling front month Panamax go above 33.625, I remain skeptical. And I remain very skeptical in the June, which would be the rolling front month now, going above 38,000. Um, because if it does, I see it topping at 39,750 as a maximum, which doesn't make sense. Um, and the reason why I don't think if we're not going to make a new high, corrective phase is working two ways, which makes me believe that we won't trade to a new high above 38,000. So I think that this is very, very sentiment driven. Um, I, I don't see the, the price action holding. I mean, it could be proved wrong, but I would be very, very concerned about beating a full drum in these smaller size vessels. It's different with the capes. You know, we've had the rainy season in Brazil. Um, you've now got longer ton miles. I get this move making a fifth wave higher. Uh, that makes sense to me. I don't see it in the smaller vessels, you know, especially where we, you know, I know we have some slightly longer ton miles because of the the, uh, the Black Sea being out, but um, there is uh, only a limited amount of cargo that they're going to be able to shift over um, in terms of grains, etc., from uh, East Coast South America and, um, and and just purely on the basis of, of, of crop volume, then it's, it's just not going to be there. So I'm a little bit skeptical. We see these, we, we've seen China contracting, um i i'm just a little bit surprised uh how strong this move is um i don't think it has market support um there's been talk um when i speak to some of the guys out in asia they're also very much um surprised by the, how strong the move is based on the fundamental of the market the fact that there's ships there um and so when i look at that when i hear that and i look at my technical i just think yeah this this market's looking vulnerable and for anyone who's listening to what Ed's talking about and going, what are these terms that he's using? Well, we are here to help. And actually, if you look back in the, the back catalogue of the podcast, FOS podcast, you can find a special technical explainer which goes through all of these terms uh, for a complete beginner to this. And all those reports which Ed's, Ed's producing on a range of products on a daily basis, uh, you can start to actually understand what's being pinpointed in them and use those in your trading. But let's move on to base metals then, Ed. What are we seeing in those markets? Well, obviously, we short, saw the massive short squeeze that looks like it was mishandled in the, um, in the nickel contract um, when they closed the market and started cancelling trades. Um, you know, the whole reason why banks give the initial and variation margin is that these people should be stopped out. Um, to avoid building too, too big a position in the market. So we saw this technical pullback. Now, fundamentally, we know that there's, there's been a shortage of metals, um, but we've also, this is countered by um, a, what is effectively an economic downtrend that's seen the, the, the futures across the boarding base um, enter into bearish corrective moves that have been fairly sustained. Um, what I'm seeing now from a technical basis, um, 
if you read the evening reports, the morning reports, um, you'll know that I've been warning of exhaustion coming into the copper market. Um, and I, I feel that this market may well have found its low already and based um, and could be about to move into a bullish run. It's still holding at the moment below some key intraday moving average bands that it needs to go above. But the futures are making higher highs. My intraday Elliott wave would point to exhaustion. So I think copper's interesting compared to the rest of the base market because I think the rest of the base market still has um, another move to come into the downside, whereas I don't think copper does, which makes it interesting in any of these ratio spreads, you know, copper against aluminium and stuff like that. I think they've got the potential to go bid. Uh, we've already seen the ratios move higher there, but when that spreads around six and a half thousand dollars, um, I think it becomes very interesting um, to the market because I believe that um, you could, you, we've seen that as historically being held as a support level. And I just feel that if the, if, if we are going to start seeing metals base um, over the next few weeks, then your economic bellwether is copper. So for me, it kind of makes sense that this is going to be the first one to go. Um, and we are seeing signs there. Um, iron ore is a bit of a different uh, different game for us because you know, you've got a housing issue in China. Um, I believe that there's still further tests as a downside to come um, in iron ore. But again, which is more linked to your aluminiums, your zinc uh, and your lead um, in terms of cycle. So, um, so I think if, if copper's the economic bellwether and showing me signals that we could soon turn, I think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing uh, some kind of, uh, pardon the pun, basing in the base sector. Um, and, I, and I believe we'll see the same in iron ore. I just think it needs more downside. It still needs a bit more of a clear out. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if iron ore goes through the 122.85 in the June contract and potentially even come off for another $10 or so. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but at that point, I think we need to evaluate how the cycle looks um, and is there potentially that it could be about to base. Um, there, 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 there's some interesting times here because in, when we look at the markets, we've got you know weak fundamentals um, that are coupled with um, almost an anticipation that we're going to see some kind of stimulus coming out of China. Um, 2008, we didn't see it. Z, President Z's already said that focus will be on inflation. So um, I think when we do see these upside moves, um, I, I don't think they're going to be as rampant as they were, were last year. They might push out higher in the metals because of the, uh, the just, just the metal shortage, but I don't think we're going to see um, the market run away uh, anytime soon unless there seems to be some kind of stimulus that's really uh, bullish towards the housing sector, which at the moment um, a two percent, a point two basis point cut on new mortgages is is not going to is not going to do it um, for the market. Um, and for this economic slowdown, I think you've got to look at that from the freight and just say, um, certainly in the smaller vessels, you know, are, are these moves sustainable? As we know with Capes, it really is just about basin displacement. Um, but we we will have seen last year that the rally started from the bottom up. It started in the Supermax and Panamax and pushed through to the Cape. Um, which lagged behind for a while. Um, and that was just the first time we've seen seen that kind of move for over a decade. Um, normally, these strong moves have really been driven like Cape driven um, ratio spreads pulling pulling the smaller vessels up. Um, I think 
that if we start seeing um, what I believe is possible in the Supermax, and that is um, entering a more sustained corrective phase, that ultimately could virtually halve where the futures, the rolling front month futures are now, um, you know, put them back down to the beginning of Jan levels, then um, it's going to be a very hard argument to see a sustained bullish run in uh, in the capes as well. Um, just just purely because of again ratio spreads between the different uh, shipping complexes. It's um it's a very interesting time because we kind of see right now in these smaller vessels almost a detach detachment. Um, you know, normally freight physical linked uh, fundamentally. You know, lots of lots of cargo around. Not much, uh, not many uh, ballast in the market's bullish at the moment. I'm not convinced that we're seeing that, and it's causing me um, a little bit of concern. I could be proved wrong. It could be a case of the futures hold sustained levels, charters cave in and start paying paying the offers. Um, but right here, right now, based on that supermax chart, I have grave concerns that this market is sentiment driven and won't hold. Anxiety in the freight markets. We'll have to wait and see what happens going forward and whether the predictions are correct. We'll have to come back to you. Yeah. Cool. Thanks very much, Ed. That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the freight and commodity space, then sign up to our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And have a great end to your week. <laughs>